Welcome to Smarter Markets, a free weekly podcast featuring stories from the entrepreneurs and icons of commodities, capital markets, and technology, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we explore the questions, is capitalism in crisis, and will building smarter markets be the antidote? And now, here's your host, Eric Townsend. Welcome to the eighth episode of Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast that explores how financial markets could be redesigned and improved to better serve market participants and society as a whole. Smarter Markets is made possible by a grant from Abex Technologies. I'm your host, Eric Townsend. Some of you have asked us to broaden the Smarter Markets discussion from commodity markets to stock markets, so my guest this week will be Joss Schmidt, founder of the NEO Stock Exchange in Canada. We'll discuss what Joss sees as wrong with the way existing stock exchanges work and why Joss saw the need to create a new exchange that's designed to level the playing field and eliminate the unfair advantages that other exchanges give high-frequency traders over other investors. My interview with NEO Stock Exchange founder Josh Smith is coming up next. And now, with this week's special guest, here's your host, Eric Townsend. Joss, I am a huge fan of privatization in almost any business. I think that when government bureaucracies are in charge of how things work, it never goes as well as when free enterprise determines how businesses best serve their customers through competition. It's just, you know, that model of capitalism has proven itself for centuries, and I really believe in it. But, you know, in your business of stock exchanges, it feels to me that something went wrong with the privatization, because we have seen about 20 years ago the privatization of stock exchanges, but it almost feels like the customers that the stock exchanges are serving are not the customers that the stock exchanges exist for the purpose of serving. How is that possible? What what, what happened here? Well, Eric, I, I, I totally agree with you. I agree both with uh, with your belief in, in you know, what what is the, the the right model free enterprise but i also agree with with your view that uh, with stock exchanges things went uh, went wrong and and the reality over there is that uh, you know stock exchanges we have to remember that they are there to bring together in the most efficient way investors seeking to achieve financial security wealth with companies seeking to raise capital to enable their growth and and you know, contribute to the economy, contribute to uh, to employment, and when when stock exchanges became uh, private or public companies, in fact, uh, but you know, no longer being driven by the dealers, the membership model, if you want, which was the old model of stock exchanges in the past, their entire view of life became how do I maximize shareholder value, and the way that they they started to do that, and the way they're still doing that today is by developing their services and putting their focus on services that are all about maximizing profitability to the benefit of the shareholders. And that is not necessarily to the benefit of the investors and the capital raisers. Let me give you one one obvious uh, example. The entire focus that exchanges have nowadays on the high-frequency trading community like, I'm not against high-frequency trading firms, to be very clear with you. I think they can add tremendous value. But I also believe that if you let them operate unleashed, that uh, they can uh, be detrimental to the quality of execution of long-term investors. I think they can be detrimental to the liquidity of certain corporations because they impact the ability of, of genuine market makers to support those, those securities. And what have exchanges done? They have enabled that community they made it easier for them they welcomed them welcomed them without any restrictions and why because they generate a lot of volume because they are willing to pay extra fees to get faster connectivity they are willing to pay extra fees to get a specific type of of market data service that is better than what everyone else has and and exchanges supply that and and exchanges help with that because they just think, well, you know, the more volume that they, they do, 
the more revenue I make and the more I contribute, uh, you know, to the profitability of your organization and that's to the benefit of the shareholders. But who's the loser here? The investor and the capital raising firm. And, and that is the big issue that the, the privatization of, of stock exchanges or the fact of stock exchanges becoming public companies, you know, with a duty to shareholders has led to. Stock exchanges forgot about the prime objective of being there to bring together investors and capital raisers and to service them. And now they are servicing parties that can add value, but they are not managing them to the interest of their core customers which is really part of a public interest role that stock exchanges have. Now, this led you to create a, a new stock exchange in Canada called NEO. Uh, I'm assuming that the discussion we just had plays into that. So what are the reasons that, I mean, Canada already had stock exchanges. Why did they, they need a new one? And what are the values and principles that are behind this particular venture? These principles are indeed, uh, you know, or, or this development, I should say, that stock exchanges went through, is, is definitely uh, one of the core drivers behind the creation and the launch of, of, of our exchange, the, the, the NEO exchange, the NEO stock exchange. And what uh, we, we saw is, is that evolution that we talked about earlier with, with stock exchanges, which translated itself in the way that they operate trading, but also translates itself in many other ways. Uh, think about the cost of market data, a big debate everywhere in the world, in the US, in Canada, in Europe, that, that uh, you know, the dealer community investors are complaining about how expensive market data is. Are exchanges doing anything about it? No, because they say, again, uh, you know, the more I can charge, the more money goes to, uh, to my shareholders. But it's a big burden on the, on the dealer community. It's a big burden on the investor community. The listing business, exchanges... And, and Canada is, is worse than, 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 than many other places in the world. Exchanges look at, at listings as transactions. The more transactions I can do, the more revenue I generate. Is it good for the company to go public? Not always. Is it good for the investors that certain companies are, are public? Not necessarily, but they still do it. And once they are public, they forget about them. They don't support them. They don't help them. Those kinds of things, you know, we saw developing, you know, as I said, globally, uh, even to a, a larger extent in, in Canada, and in Canada, amplified by, by something else, the fact that we only had one single main board or senior exchange, the, the TSX. Like, at least in the US, you have Nasdaq and NYSE that compete with each other, and, and that, you know, helps to compensate a bit for that, because people are going to try to make a difference. But we didn't even, even have that in Canada. So, it became obvious that, that we needed to come with, with, with a new exchange that was going to address those, those issues. And when we then set up that exchange and we created it, we, we said something you know, that sounds a little bit like, uh, like, like motherhood and apple pie, but, but it's, it's in fact very true and very genuine in, in, in what we are and what we do. We wanted to set up a stock exchange where investors and capital raisers come first. Everything that we do, Everything that we put in place, every functionality or service that we develop, we test it and we think about how is this going to benefit the investor? How is this going to benefit the capital raiser? And we made a bit of a bet at the beginning, and, and it sounds, uh, again, a bit, uh, a bit funny when I say it, but we made a bet at the beginning when we launched this. Can we be commercially successful as a stock exchange if we do what is right? Because there's not many stock exchanges doing that. And uh, you know what? We've been operating for five and a half years now, and I can, I can tell you that the answer to that question is yes, because there is a clear need for a different type of stock exchange that is going to come back to that, that core purpose of bringing together investors and capital raisers in the most efficient possible way. Josh, first of all, on a personal level, I, I'm just listening to you. I'm, I'm cheering. I'm jumping up and down. I'm applauding because I just think this is so badly needed is to, and it's not just in stock exchanges. It's the entire financial industry, in my opinion, needs to take a big step back and remember what is the purpose for which 
these markets are allowed to exist in society in the first place? And the answer is, it's to facilitate the efficient formation of capital in order to support the growth and expansion of businesses, which creates more employment and more prosperity for entire nations so that people have a higher standard of living thanks to the existence of financial markets. And there's nothing wrong with guys like you and me making a few bucks, whether it's trading or running an exchange or whatever, but it should be in service of those objectives that benefit society. So I personally am your biggest fan, but now I want to play devil's advocate and say, wait a minute, why wouldn't, if I was a shareholder in your company, why wouldn't I, you know, really confront you at the next board meeting and say, Joss, what's this, what's this Boy Scout act that you're giving me about doing the right thing here? Look at what our competitors are doing. They're basically, you know, if you're taking an analogy to an auction house, you can run an honest auction house or you can get the, the most active bidders, the ones that do most of the buying. And you can take them aside and say, look, We'll give you guys special rules that most people don't understand, where you get to step in front of everybody else in line. You get the the last chance to have the bid. The auctioneer is going to give you favorable treatment that the the other the other guys that are, are you know the equivalent to the retail investor they they don't even know what's going on. And we're going to charge you exorbitant fees to do that. And and you're going to get rich because you're cheating those people. And we're going to get rich because you're paying us a cut. Everybody's doing it, Joss, and you're not, and the other exchanges are making more money than we are. And what's to stop a private equity company coming in, an activist, and doing a hostile takeover and firing you because you're stuck on this doing the right thing thing when you could make more money by participating in what I think is a scam, but it's a scam that seems to be legal and it's been going on a long time. <laughs> it's uh, it's an interesting way to put it, uh, Eric, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm going to try to answer that in a, in a, in a multitude of, of ways. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in values and, uh, and principles. And that, that is probably the first comment that I would, uh, would make. And what, what life has, uh, has taught me in, in, in the many years now that I've been active in this space and, and, you know, funnily enough in the exchange space, whether it's in Europe, in, in, in the US, in Canada or other parts of the world, uh, even that is that the, the short term approach, like maximizing profit, taking advantage of people is something that works on the short term. It will always get back at you at one moment in time because people realize there is an issue. People are frustrated. And the ones that will come with alternative solutions that are going to be driven by the better interest of you know what we are all about as stock exchanges, as you said earlier, will win and will emerge. That is what I, I fundamentally uh, believe. And if there is no competition and you can do whatever you want well you will do whatever you want until there is competition and that is what happened here in canada so we created competition with a different set of values and that differentiation now is what allows us in fact to be successful and to achieve something which you know no one believed when we came with the, with the concept of of neo like everyone was was telling me like you said uh, earlier you know why another exchange in canada you know the country is already you know, one-tenth of the size of the U.S. You really need more exchanges in, in a country like that. And and guess what? Yes, we needed one, but not only we needed one, but we are also commercially successful because we, we execute upon that bet that I mentioned earlier. And we are generating profitability and we are growing and our revenue is going up. And uh, and month after month, uh, we, we're seeing more success and we see more listings coming to us. And our market share in the last month went up again with one to two percent and and more and more people get it and see what we are doing differently understand the value that we bring to them as investors the value that we bring to them as as capital raises and say hey you know what this exchange is really doing things in a different way we want to work with them and what what are we doing that way we are in fact you know taking market share away that no one ever expected from the incumbent and uh, we are, are, are not only doing that, in fact, we are also growing the pie because people that had a bad taste about uh, the exchanges and the way that they operate, who had bad experiences, moved away from stock exchanges. And we see some parties like that coming back and being interested again 
And and I I think that you not only develop the, the success, or you don't we don't only uh, experience success because of of the competition and taking market share from our competitors. We also experience it because we're growing the pie and and we're adding value to the to the society, as you said, or to the community here in in, in Canada and now beyond uh, with with what we do. And if if I look at the, at the shareholders and I talk with them, what is interesting to know that is one, our shareholders are a group of of quite meaningful financial institutions here in in Canada. You know, both institutional investors and and dealers with. The majority of the ownership, by the way, with the institutionals, and they stood behind Neo in that vision that we had, because they wanted to see change. They wanted to see an exchange that would do again what is right for the investor and right for the capital raiser, and they were ready to support that. They were ready to take that bet with me, and now they're looking and they're saying, "Hey, you know what? Not only." Have you delivered on on that vision? Are you providing the kind of services that you you promised? But you're also making uh, good money. That is interesting, and you are establishing yourself now as a meaningful, sustainable competitor in this space. And what makes you unique and differentiates you is those values. So that feels really good. I'm happy as a, as a shareholder because I I see the strategic intent being executed upon, but I also see returns coming. And those returns are there because we are different, because we are a competitor, and because we do other things also, like driven by those values, we innovate continuously with new ideas. And 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 the other thing that we're doing, that is that we have an impact on the incumbent. Like step by step, the incumbent is adjusting. Step by step, they are coming with new features, new services, which are similar to ours. And uh, what what we are creating, in fact, is a, is a better ecosystem for everyone. Where not only we are doing things respecting those values, but where our competitor, you know, not necessarily willingly, but where our competitor is starting to show a much better behavior, also. So I think it's it's a it's a win win for for everyone, including our uh, our shareholders. And I uh, do not expect them. Uh, in the short or long-term future to come to me and, and say, hey, Joss, you know, if you would do this, things, uh, you know, you could generate a bit more revenue. Because my answer would be, and, and they know that, and that is how they think also, that is that short-term thinking is maybe going to generate some additional revenue for us in the next three months, but it's not going to make us be who we are. And, and it is who we are that has driven our success. And if I take a step back and I look at the first years, you know, setting up an exchange, I've been through it a few times now in my life, is always difficult. How do you get your first trade done? How do you get your first buyers and sellers coming together? How do you get your first listing done? How do you get this? How do you get that? How do you get your data on all the screens so that everyone can see data? Because if there's no data available, no one wants to trade on your exchange and no one wants to list on your exchange. And we were several times put in a position where, where people came to us and said, Joss, if you change this, we're going to start providing liquidity on your exchange. And I said, no, that is not who we are. And we had uh, issuers that came to us uh, who said, uh, you know, if you would change that in, in your requirements, we would be happy to, uh, to list with you. And, and, and I said, no, no, this is not who we are. This is not what we stand for. And, you know, we... We fought our battles and we did a lot of education and a lot of explanation. And and then ultimately, you know, you start to see the early adopters. You start to see people having a, a good and a great experience. And, and you need some, you know, lighthouse events on an exchange. And, and then, uh, you know, the beauty of an exchange is then, then and all those businesses, then the ball starts rolling. And the ball starts rolling because... Uh, you know, you have to be a little bit smart probably with your shareholders also. You have a couple of shareholders that are going to stand behind you and support you not only in words, but also in, 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 in acts. And then the ball starts rolling and then people see that we walk our talk, that we execute upon what we say, that we have a better quality of execution. Then they see that when you list with us, you know, what I say about our focus on liquidity, our focus on helping with investor outreach, our, 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 our partnership approach to issues, they see that it that it's real, that it works. One of our, uh, our issuers today called MindMed. So we were the first exchange to list a, a company in the psychedelics-inspired biotech space. 
that company now on NEO became a unicorn. They start with a valuation of about $100 million, $80 million. They are now north of a million US dollars. And a similar company in that space that listed directly on NASDAQ in the month of November traded substantially less in volume and traded less in value than the one on on NEO. Why? Because all those components we spend so much time working on thinking about listening because you need to listen also to your to your investors and your capital raisers understand their issues by by working on all of that we built you know a, a value proposition which i think really really works and then when you see success more people come to you and then it accelerates accelerates and it accelerates that's a bit where we are now we are now in in a phase of acceleration of accelerated growth and and i got to say uh, you know good old principle worked again you know do what is right and uh, think about the long term think about the value that you bring and uh, uh, you know people will come uh, will come to you Josh, i want to move on to the core topic of this podcast which is how financial markets can be made smarter either through their functional design or through the adoption of technology now my own personal background my my expertise and knowledge is in commodity futures trading so when i interviewed jeff curry the the head of goldman sachs uh, commodities research he says look the biggest problems we have in the commodities world are we got to put a price on carbon and we also need to figure out how to solve this warehouse receipts problem in commodity futures because it's just just wrought with with risks and, and so forth they really ought to be tokenized on a blockchain somehow a week later i'm interviewing tom mcmahon and they're actually building an exchange in singapore that addresses both of those things a new natural gas contract to help put a price on carbon and they're also tokenizing warehouse receipts which are something that doesn't exist in the stock market I don't know the stock market anywhere close to as well as I know futures, so I can only imagine here. But help me fill in the blanks. What could be better about the way stock markets work? And what, if anything, are you guys doing at NEO to maybe spin things differently than functionally the way it works on other exchanges? Yeah, I think, I think uh, the key point here is, is, is really what are we doing? What are we doing that is different and, and where we try to address some of the issues that I mentioned uh, earlier? And... I think technology can play a very important role in that uh, indeed. And let me give you a very concrete example. Earlier, I talked about how certain exchanges are enabling the the high-frequency trading community and enabling them, in fact, in in deploying strategies that that are detrimental to long-term investors and and to capital raisers. At the same time, I said very clearly, I'm not an anti-HFT because I think they can add a lot of value, but you have to manage them. You have to manage them just like exchanges in the past managed people who had an advantage and and, and were working and creating an unlevel playing field where everyone was no longer treated in a fair way. Think about the first user of a carrier pigeon. Think about the first one to have a phone in the exchange building. What the exchanges used to do in those days is they said, okay, let's make sure that everyone has a carrier pigeon. Let's make sure that we put phones in there for everyone so that trading remains fair and that everyone feels good about trading and that we don't feel that there's always someone winning and someone losing. And that is what we we also did with with our trading platform. So we never said to HFTs, don't come to our exchange on the country. I'd love them to come because they can add value. But we put a number of mechanisms in our model, in our trading engine, driven by technology, driven by analysis, where we counter certain strategies. We build in a speed bump to take away the, the, the speed advantage that they have. We build in different prioritization of, of, of the, the, the matching of orders. When your long-term investor is sitting at the same price as, as an HFT, we're going to give a long-term investor priority. We protect market makers, those who are committed to provide at all times a quote in a security, which is important. We, we protect them with, with our speed bump. So, this promotes quality of, of, of execution for the long-term investors. It promotes liquidity for the security. And it's a number of mechanisms. And there are more than that. i just give you a couple of examples. But those are mechanisms that we developed, implemented in our technology, in the technology of our trading engine, to create a fair level playing field where investors feel comfortable, where when they trade on our exchange, they know that, you know, there's not someone else who is always uh, winning. That That is... One example. 
Another example of, of what we do is, uh, is with respect to the, the, the listings process. So as I said earlier today, you know, many exchanges look at listings as, as a transaction. You know, let's try to get them in, get the money, and then, you know, they figure it out. Well, we spend a lot of time with, with issuers, trying to make them understand that becoming a public company is a very big commitment. It's not only a milestone or something that you should feel good about. It's a commitment. It's almost, you need, it's almost like setting up a new business line that needs to support that, that is going to make sure that you, you manage and interact with your, with your investors. And we give them a full overview of what it takes to be successful uh, when you go public. And we learn things ourselves. Like I don't pretend we know, uh, we know everything. You know, we, we, we started really to reinvigorate the spec space here in Canada. So that is NEO. NEO has, I think, now six or seven specs listed. There's, there's two, I believe, on the, on the TSX. And there were lots of, of failures in the past with specs in, in Canada. And we tried to learn out of that. And, and, and then we spent time with, with the founders and we spent time with, with, with the companies to look at what is important to make a spec listing and then the resulting qualifying transaction successful. And then once a company is listed with us, we continue to, to interact with them and talk with them about issues and challenges that they face. Company was facing short selling. We don't say to the company, oh, you figure it out. We spend time with them, understanding it, helping them to manage it, helping them to look at what it, it takes to tackle it. Talk with the regulators. And tell to the regulators, well, wait a minute, there's something going on over here that you maybe didn't uh, didn't spot. I think that is where where you are different, and you leverage technology, you leverage services, you leverage capabilities, experience, whatever you want to call it, and and as long as you are driven by the best interest, uh, you have clearly defined who your customers are and who you care about, and you're driven by their best interest, you can use. All kinds of tools in in your toolkit, from from technology to uh, to services, to new services, to partnership models, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that is what what we have done. Uh, market data, a good example, also where an exchange that is charging market data at a reasonable cost. Does that sound bizarre? Uh, why why are we not? Again, I think you mentioned it earlier. Why are we not trying to charge as much uh, as much as we can? Because you got a bit of a uh, a scenario with with market data from exchanges where you have a captive customer, but we said no, we don't we don't do that. We want to be remunerated at a fair level for the service that we provide, but we want them to be successful. We want investors to be successful. We want them to use our data, and the more use it, and the more we spread it out, you know, we make our revenue by providing a quality service and having lots of people participate to our exchange. That is what it's about. So it's a philosophy, I would say, more than uh, than anything else. I want to come back to what you said a few minutes ago about protecting the suppliers of liquidity, because this is so important, but I want to make sure that everyone understands it. In the old days, when we had specialists in the stock market that were providing liquidity, those are the guys that are there as the buyer of last resort in extreme events and market crashes and so forth, when you need liquidity the most in the market. Those were the guys that kind of kept the market stable and, and provided the stability to prevent flash crashes. That was a really important part of the market. And I think that the high-frequency trading community has persuaded people, you don't need those guys anymore because the HFTs provide a, a huge amount of instantaneous liquidity in all the markets all the time. And the thing is, that's true until it isn't. When the markets start to have an event, those algos shut down on a millisecond notice and there's nobody left because the guys who were in that business of providing liquidity to stabilize markets got run out of business by the, the computer robots. It seems so important to me. Do you find that the, the institutional investors that trade with you understand this problem? Because I've noticed that certainly in the retail community, you know, people who are hurt by this risk don't understand it. They don't understand what could go wrong as a result of those market makers being put out of business. Yeah, I, I think at, at the institutional level, the, there is an understanding about about that more than at the at the, the retail level. Uh, is is would I say that that everyone gets it? No, probably not. And and again, there's an element of of, of education, and that that is important. 
And I, I think, you know, to your point, what, what happened over here, when, when the HFT community emerged, and I, I think it, it really started uh, mid-2000, so 2004, 2005, if my memory is correct, everyone saw that liquidity coming in. And everyone said, wow, these guys are, are great. They had a lot of liquidity. And uh, exchanges then very rapidly said, uh, uh, you know, lots of liquidity, lots of volume, love those guys, let's support them, let's make it easy. But not thinking about the consequences, not thinking about the impact. And the, one of the impacts that was there and that a lot of people missed is that with their speed, they were continuously sniping at the established market makers. So the, the guys, as you said earlier, that, that were providing liquidity for years, that were there, that are the, the liquidity provider of last resort. And they put quotes there and they were every time too late. HFT would take them out every time when there was a change in price, you know, driven by whatever, let's, let's, let's call it a, a gold company listed on NYSE and the price of gold changes somewhere in in Chicago, uh, they knew it before the market makers. Take them out and the market makers kept losing. They kept losing money. So what did the market makers do? They start to widen their spreads. They start to reduce the amounts that they quote. And finally, they don't make any money anymore and they start to pull out of the market. And then the market start to depend from a liquidity provision on the HFT community. And to your point, they are there, you know, when when it works for their algos, it works for their model. But as soon as it doesn't work, they pull out and then you get flash crashes and then you get prices. You know, we've seen, uh, if I remember well, my memory is correct, Accenture trading at $1 uh, at, at the moment uh, because there was no one there anymore to support, to step in and to think a little bit. And and we've been through, uh, you know, all we've seen extreme scenarios. And, and, and I think that exchanges don't pay attention to that anymore. They don't think about that. They don't think about the consequences. And and that is where indeed we we are different and and we put mechanisms in in place and and now to be again very clear that does not mean that an HFT cannot be a market maker on Neo. We have HFTs that are market makers on Neo and that works well and they like to work with us also because again we also protect them from uh, from uh, from other parties other HFTs that would come with a predatory strategy which makes it easier for them to quote narrow spreads makes it easier for them to provide uh, larger quotes, makes it easier for them to make money out of doing that. And and that component, by the way, is very important because you need to be able to make money out of fulfilling that role to also stay in that role when you're really needed, when the market is going, you know, crazy on you. Like as a market maker, you you are going to stand in there longer because you know that it's part of your role and it's what it's that role that allowed you to make money. But if you don't make money under normal circumstances and someone else walks away with it all the time, well, you're definitely not going to stand there when the market goes against you. So I think we need to reestablish that virtuous circle of market makers are there to participate in the market, provide liquidity, make money when they provide that role. And then, you know, when the markets really need them, they will be standing there, they will be supporting it. If they cannot make money, they will pull out and there will be no one there at the moments that they are most uh, most needed. So, yeah, I think that's a big issue and that's an issue that, that we have sought to, to address with, uh, with our trading model. Another big scandal in stock trading is this notion of naked short selling. And the, the scenario there, when you're selling a stock short, the way that transaction works is you have to borrow the stock from your broker first. So you borrow the shares so that you can sell them and later repay that loan in shares after you've bought them back. That's the way the transaction is supposed to work. Somehow, it seems that it, it was possible for many years, I don't know if it still is, for people to sell short without ever borrowing the shares to start with. And there was a famous story, I think it was Overstock.com, it might have been a different company, but you know, normally in these shareholder meetings, they never get anything close to a hundred percent vote because you know not everybody votes in, in shareholder votes. They had a meeting of shareholders where something like two hundred percent of the outstanding shares voted. More shares voted than shares exist. And the way that happened is a whole bunch of people who had bought stock from short sellers who didn't really have the stock to sell because they never borrowed it, 
created a larger number of owners of stock than stock existed. That is just, it, it's so fundamentally corrupts everything you could imagine about how the accounting of, uh, of ownership in a public company is supposed to work. But this went on for years. And I, what I've never understood, Josh, maybe you can help me understand is how in the heck were the exchanges allowing these guys to sell shares that they didn't have, that they didn't own and they hadn't borrowed? Well, I think like, like every time, you know, there's not one simple answer to, to a question of that, uh, of that uh, nature. I think the, the, the entire approach around short selling and, you know, what, what you need to do or don't need to do when you, you go short is driven by, by rules and regulations that uh, are, are defined by the securities regulators and or uh, you know, the SRO. So in, in the US, it would be the SEC and, and, and FINRA, uh, I guess. And it's it's typically rules that, that are not defined at, at the level of the exchange. It, it is also something that is tackled in the rules of the depository. So in the US, that would be DTCC. And, and you know, what do they do when, uh, when someone can't uh, deliver uh, the, the stock? when uh, the, there's a transaction that took place because they did uh, did a short so i think that is that is where the problem needs needs to be tackled and i think that we have been making progress more in the us again than in uh, in canada in in addressing some of those things by you know starting to impose rules whereby you know when someone goes short the dealer has to make sure that they have access to that stock that the borrower is there and that the uh, they can properly ensure, uh, you know, delivery on on payment uh, at the, at the securities uh, depository, and uh, I think that that helps. Now there's still ways to uh, to to go around it, and I think that that needs to be, you know, further addressed. I, you know, for me, in fact, where where we should get to that is if someone goes short, there has to be a lock on the stocks that uh, will be borrowed to uh, enable. The settlement of that uh, uh, of that security, so that we don't get in a scenario where stocks are are, are used, you know, uh, multiple times. The same stocks are used multiple times because people are uh, are going short across the board, and then they look at the, the same potential lender of that uh, security. So we need to establish a relationship uh, of a one to to one. The, the the regulators are the ones that will be driving that because they need to impose those kinds of rules upon the dealers. Now, where do the exchanges fit in that, that equation? I think exchanges play a very important role because when, when, when you have those kinds of, of practices taking place, and there's many other examples of where the, there is uh, inappropriate or predatory short selling taking place in, in markets, it impacts the credibility of the exchange. It harms the investors. It harms the capital raisers. And I think that as an exchange, you have to be a champion for those things. Even if it's not your rules, you should be standing up for those investors and those capital raisers and go and talk with the regulators and tell them, guys, this is what's happening. This is not good for the investors. This is not good for the capital raisers. This is not good for the credibility of our capital markets. This is not good for investor confidence. Let's work on this and let's address this. And that is one of the things that, that we have done around the form of, of short selling that, that we've seen around, uh, you know, what, what, what is called uh, uh, both uh, deals or capital raises, companies that are already public, where you could kind of feel that uh, when those transactions were taking place, certain parties were aware that it was going to take place before it was public and started to short. And then uh, when the capital raise is taking place, well, they are one of the participants who had capital raise, so they went short, and then they get the, the stock at, the, at a lower price with a discount, and they make a, a profit without taking a risk. But who has been losing? The investors that were uh, buying against them when they were shorting, the shareholders because the valuations go down, and the company. And, and you know, we look at those things, we identify those things, we bring them up, and then we raise them uh, with, with the regulators. And, and I think we have that responsibility as an exchange, but exchanges don't seem to care. Uh, they say, you know, that's not my problem. You figure it out and you go and talk with the regulators. How do you have a corporate issuer that is experiencing an issue like that 
go and talk to a regulator? How do they figure it out if there's not someone who's going to help them stand next to them as a partner? That is what we miss. Now, last comment that I want to make about short selling, and I want to be very clear, uh, because nothing is black and white. You cannot say HFTs are bad. You cannot say short selling is bad. I think that short selling is a component of the markets. I think that it adds to the liquidity of the market. It's important for liquidity providers to be able to go short. It's important for people who have a, a vision and, and who translate information about the market to go short as long as you know they are covered with, uh, with a borrow. So short selling is not a bad thing. So let's please not go again to a scenario where the world always has to be black and white. Short selling is bad. HFTs is bad. No, we have to understand the issue and we have to address the problems. And we cannot just try to eliminate everything because that is not the right solution either. But I think an exchange should have the, the, feel the responsibility and the accountability to take a leading role in addressing those things, either because it is in its own control or because it should be an advocate for its core customers. And, and exchanges don't do that anymore. Joss, I want to come back to some of your earlier comments about being either transactionally focused or partnership focused in your relationship with the stock issuers. Because something that Canada has received praise for, or, or maybe I'm just uh, reading the, the press release, I'm not sure, is you know Canadian markets are supposedly better equipped than most other countries to support smaller companies going public. Because in addition to the regular uh, big board, if you will, of Canada, which is the TSX, there's also another exchange called TSX Venture, which is specifically designed to allow smaller companies to go public. Everybody assumes that's a good thing. Is it a good thing, or is this a case of maybe in some exploitation of smaller companies that shouldn't be public, and maybe <laughs> naive CEOs going public before it's really good for their shareholders? Well, you're, you're hitting uh, uh, one of, uh, of my favorite topics, and one of the topics where I always create a lot of uh, reactions uh, here in the Canadian market when I come out with, with my views. So NEO is not listing venture companies. In Canada, you have a, a definition in legislation that you have venture companies and non-venture companies. Uh, venture companies list on an exchange like a TSXV, non-venture companies list on a TSX or, or NEO. What I fundamentally believe is that it, it was a, a great idea and it maybe worked at one moment in time uh, when all the intentions uh, were right and, and maybe before you know exchanges became for, for profit organizations. But what I see today is a couple of very straightforward facts. One, a lot of companies that are listed on those venture exchanges in Canada are absolutely not ready to go public. And the burden of being a public company is, is very heavy on them. And they are not able to spend the time anymore on their core business. And we see them failing. Two, I see uh, retail investors, because it's listed on exchange, all kinds of retail investors, moms and pops, who are investing money in venture companies, where you and I know, just because we, we know what the word venture means, that maybe two out of 10 will succeed and the other eight will fail. That's venture business. We all know that. But we allow those investors to be exposed to that. And they, sadly enough, don't work like a venture fund. Or they are not going to spread their assets across a multitude of companies to create a diversified portfolio where they manage their risk. No, they're going to go on those things that you know seem to be very promising and where there's a little bit of hype uh, around. So I think that that is bad. Now, why are companies doing that? I think there are two reasons that I can see. I think uh, some companies are doing that because they can't find capital. And they need capital and they can't get money from a bank. They can't get money from uh, from VCs or they don't want to work with a VC because that comes with other consequences. And they can't find any other investors anymore. And this is an option that is suddenly offered to them. You could go there and there will be, you know, some, some people crazy enough to invest in your company on, on an exchange. And then they, they, they go for it. And it's a bit by despair or by lack of, of other opportunities. And I think, again, that is where we as an exchange have a role to play. I think we should not 
push them to do that because indeed it's going to be another transaction that's going to generate revenue for us. We should come with other solutions. And what, what we did at, at NEO, next to our exchange, we developed another platform. And that platform is there to allow uh, asset managers, but also private companies that are not ready to go public, to raise money privately. So it's a, it's a multi-asset distribution platform that, that we developed. And even, uh, you know, through some different models and, and within the frame of existing regulations, Retail investors can even participate to it too, but in a risk-managed way. And, and I think that is, that is what is important. The, the last thought that I would like to leave with you, because you could say, okay, good, I hear your words about the risk that it represents for the investor and the burden for the company and, and et cetera, et cetera. What other, do you have facts? Well, I'll give you one fact, which is very simple. And uh, that is, look at the indices in Canada. Look at the composite index for the TSX and look at the composite index for the TSXV or, or, or the Canadian Securities Exchange for that matter and look at how they are diverging. Like the long-term trend of the TSX index, and we're a little bit too young to have an index, but the TSX index is going up, you know, with, with its bumps like like every index in the world, but it's it's going up. The venture index is in a downfall since 2010 and uh, i think that that tells you a lot about what companies expose themselves to that tells you a lot about what investors expose themselves to so maybe it was a good idea in the past maybe it worked well when people were doing it properly with the right intentions but clearly today for me it is not a model that works anymore we need alternatives and that is what uh, what we are, are are focusing on Joss, I want you to pretend for a moment that you were dictator for a day. You're allowed to completely change anything that you want about securities laws or the structure of things. If you wanted to make the world a better place so that the issuers of capital and the long-term investors were better served by equity markets than they are today, and you were allowed to change any of the rules about how anything works, what would you change and how would you make it better? The first thing that I, I would do if I was in that position, in fact, it's not changing rules or changing models or changing anything else. I would impose, I would impose a training course on every investor and a training course on every capital raising company so that they fully understand what it is to invest money and what it is to go public uh, with a company or what it is to raise capital in general. Because the biggest issue that I still see is a lack of education and a lack of understanding of what it takes. And other people take advantage of that. That would be my, my first thing. The second thing that I would, uh, would do is make sure that exchanges are either in a position where competition is totally unfettered, like there's no service that you have where you are in a position of, of a captive customer. So everything you do, there's someone else who can compete with you uh, on that uh, without any limitations. And if you have a service or a role where you cannot do that, good example is market data, then that component needs to be managed, monitored, and controlled by the regulators. The regulators have to step in, like the SEC was trying to do it in the, in the U.S., have to step in and say, here we have a captive customer. The competition model doesn't work. I remember how we both agree about the model of capitalism being a good model. That model only works when there's real competition. And there are areas like market data where competition cannot work because there's a captive customer concept. They need them to step in. I think that if we manage to do that, competition will make sure that everyone will slowly but steadily move back to giving the best possible service to those two entities that uh, we talked about a lot at the beginning, investors and capital raisers, and regulators will make sure that no one is abusing any form of position of monopoly that, that they have. If we manage to do that, the world will look different. And uh, if you look at what, what, what I'm doing with, uh, with NEO, wherever we can compete, we are you know, a very hard and tough competitor to the to the TMX. And 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 in a friendly way, like, you know, 
I have no bad feelings about that organization. They've been in a position of monopoly, and you know we know what happens when you're for profit and monopoly. So we're going to step in, we're going to compete, we're going to innovate, we're going to do things differently, and they're going to adjust, and that's going to be a great thing. And then there's a number of areas where you know we can not properly compete with them. That is where the regulators have to step in. And we're pushing the regulators to step in with respect to uh, the uh, market data. We're expecting regulators to uh, step in in the area of uh, some forms of tight selling that they can do because they have other components in their service offering. So that, that is how we try to, uh, to push things, and, and that would make the world much better. Joss, you mentioned a company, MindMed, earlier, which is doing research on biotech, but it's psychedelic. That is to say the, the types of drugs that were very popular in the 1960s, like uh, LSD and so forth, psilocybin, uh, these kinds of what used to be recreational drugs are now being considered in much smaller doses for clinical applications. I think uh, you also were one of the first exchanges, or, or, or you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you were one of the early adopters or early enablers of the cannabis stock listings, the, the pot stocks. Um, are, are you guys uh, promoting drugs in Canada, <laughs> or is this more of, of being progressive and oriented toward allowing society to evolve? How do you see the role of a stock exchange in areas where the companies are doing things that are, are let's say, controversial in society? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great question. And, uh, you know, we are a progressive exchange. There should be no doubts in, in, in your mind about that. And what means being a progressive exchange, that is that you have to be open-minded. No, we're not uh, a promoter of, of, of drugs, but what we, we do see is, you know, there's, there's lots of developments taking place in our society. And we can talk about psychedelics-inspired biotech. We can talk about cannabis in the medical space. But we can also talk about, you know, things in, 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 in the technology space. You know, we see a lot around uh, uh, augmented reality. We see, uh, we see uh, uh, a lot in, in, you know, whatever. Think about uh, the, the way communications is taking place and so on. And what we try to do as, as, as an exchange is, is to enable things that are meaningful and that can have a positive impact on our society and that can be meaningful from an investment perspective and that can grow, again, companies and grow our economy and, and, and so on. And uh, I think we have, as an exchange, an important role to play over there and, and, and not, you know, be five years behind the the evolution of the of the world we have to be at the forefront of the evolution and we have to be part of it and we have to be part of it in a smart way because what what you notice with those types of companies that is i think they hold an incredible promise uh, the entire psychedelics inspired biotech holds an incredible promise to address one of the the, the biggest pandemics that is affecting our world because everyone talks about covid 90 which is a, a horrible situation in which we all are today but we we start to forget a bit about something else which is another pandemic that is that is probably worse than than covid-19 believe it or not but that is all the mental health issues that we see the addictions that we see and the psychedelic space is holding a promise uh, over here and and research is demonstrating that th there are some answers over there to address these issues well, I think that as an exchange, we should not be sitting back and saying, well, you know, this is not really something that, that we should get involved with. I think we should be embracing that. We should be open to that. We should be enabling it. But we have to do something else at the same time. Takes me back to my comment about some venture exchanges. That is, we have as an exchange to play a role in enabling companies that are serious. Uh, because what is always said when, when you have a new emerging industry, a new emerging technology, that is, you have some people who see that and who say, oh, let's also set up our company. There's a hype over here. And we're going to let lots of people invest in it. And, well, yeah, maybe it's smoke and mirrors, but they will only figure that out after they, they, they've invested. So an exchange has to play an important role over there. One, it has to enable it, but it also has to make sure that we avoid all those kinds of pump and dump scenarios that that are sadly enough uh, still commonplace in, in in our industry and that by the way is is, is not a, a canadian phenomenon also uh, only you see that in, in many places you even see that in the us but you will not see it 
on the main board exchanges. Or let, let me be careful about this because nobody is perfect, as I always say. You will rarely see it on the main board exchanges because they have standards and requirements from a governance perspective, uh, from, from a size perspective, uh, from, from a maturity perspective of an organization that, that should prevent those kinds of things. So, yes, progressive, but always with the best interests of the investor and the best interests of the capital raiser in the back of our mind. Well, Joss, NEO is clearly gaining traction. I know that our friends at Apex Technologies, the sponsors of this podcast, chose to list first on the NEO exchange. How do you see your exchange growing in terms of, in, in for both investors as well as issuing companies? How can they find more about your plans and where you're headed? Yeah, I, I think we made, you know, great progress since we, we launched uh, five and a half years ago. And uh, it's... Uh, it's a step-by-step progress. You don't. Uh, Rome was not built in in seven days, and and, and Neo is not built in, in seven days uh, either. And I think it's it's step by step, building the right value proposition, educating, communicating, and proving that uh, what you say and that the vision that you have works and is going to be beneficial for the investor and is going to be beneficial for the capital raiser. That is how you build. And uh, what is important for us now, it's, it's to continue to spread the word. You know, being able to have a discussion like we had today with you is very important to us. Having people that are listed with us share their experience with, with friends and partners and, 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 and other people, having law firms talk about us. That, that is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do our marketing also. But in fact, what works best in our case is the word to mouth and then people looking at, at how we uh, we are performing and how we are executing upon what our promises. That that is where we see our growth coming. That is where we see our our, our acceleration. And I think that uh, for those you know who are listening to this podcast who've never heard about Neo, what uh, my recommendation would be is go and have a look at our, our website. It gives you a very good feeling of who we are. And by the way, you're going to see a very different website. <laughs> it's it's not the one that you would uh, expect uh, based on, on experiences you may have uh, had with uh, with other ones. We got a lot of good and positive feedback about it. Our market data is available there, by the way, real time at no cost, which is also very interesting to be uh, to be aware of. So neostockexchange.com, that is uh, that is uh, our uh, our website. Have a look at it, and you'll find more information. But more than that, I would say, look at some of the companies that are listed with us. And go and talk with the CEOs. Go and talk with uh, with some of the investors and ask them what uh, what they feel about uh, us and how they think about us. Because ultimately, that is what makes the difference. And what 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 is great for us is that whether it is investors, capital raisers, dealers, lawyers uh, that that work with us, they all share uh, a common view that we're doing things in a different way, and in a better way. And I can say that 25 times. So I would say to uh, to your listeners, don't ask me, but ask our investors and our capital raisers. And, uh, and then come and have a chat with us. We'd love to see you join our family also. Joss, thanks again for a terrific interview. We strive to make Smarter Markets a listener-driven program and always value your feedback. Some of you told us that you particularly enjoy guests who are good storytellers and who can share their war stories as veterans of the industry. So my guest next week will be MBF trading founder Mark Fisher, a multi-decade veteran of the commodities markets and the only guy I know of who uses the Hudson River as a risk control in his trading system. Mark will tell that story and a few more in next week's Smarter Markets. Listeners, please help us get the word out about Smarter Markets. It's not every day you come across a podcast with guests on the caliber of Jeff Curry, Mariam Ayati, and Robert Friedland. And we have a veritable who's who of industry legends lined up for interviews in coming weeks. Your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms mean the world to us, as does your help spreading the word about Smarter Markets via word of mouth. For the Macro Voices Podcast Network, I'm Eric Townsend. See you again next week for another installment of Smarter Markets. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets. 
For free episode transcripts, visit smartermarketspod.com. Smarter Markets is 100% listener-driven, so please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or sponsors. Smarter Markets, its producers, sponsors, and hosts, Eric Townsend and Abex Technologies, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets.